All right, howlers, let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Also, don't be a pixie. (laughs) If you haven't read the books, not your podcast. Don't forget to follow us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy, email howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at howlerpod.com. And go ahead and rate and review us, but only if you give us five stars. If you don't give us five stars only, we will get one of those creepy crawlers Mm. to suck the mask off your face. But wait, there's not a mask. It eats your face. (laughs) And then while it's eating your face, you're thinking, if only I gave him five stars. (laughs) And now... Howlerpod. Now I see it is upon me, and I sail before you, the paragon of Apollonius Arvalii Wrath. And I ask one question. For what purpose have you pulled me from the deep? Hello, Howlers. Welcome to Howlerpod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode... We dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising Saga by Howler Number One, Pierce Brown. Ooh-ooh. I'm your host, Ben Reinert, joined as always by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. What are we talking about today, Aaron? Iron Gold, chapters 34 to 39. Let's go ahead and load up this star shell and shoot straight into our chapter summaries, figure out what the fuck happened this week. Hopefully, we don't shit our suits or other things. <laughs> uh, chapter 34, Darrow, Apollonius Avalii Wrath. Darrow and Severo find out there's a stowaway on the ship. The howlers gear up with spider rounds to catch the stowaway in the engine room. It ends up being none of their... Then Rona, Darrow's niece. Darrow and Severo go to speak with Apple in his cell. They find Tongueless and his dog already sitting there in front of the glass, watching Apple play his air violin. Tongueless leaves them to speak with Apple. There are some amazing long-winded speeches from Apple and some hilarious quips from Severo, along with some deep introspection from Darrow, emo Darrow. They catch Apple up on what's going on with Tharsis and show him the countdown clock for the bomb in his head. Apple agrees to work with them. He's got some demands of his own, though. Uh, after giving Apple some steak and some wine, they tell Apple the in-depth plan. They will get through Venus's defense systems by tempting Tharsis's refined palate for fancy drinks, meats, and pinks. They will then raise an army by using Apollonius's legend, the Minotaur of Mars and Venus, before going to Ashlord's fortress to kill him chapter 35 lyria teardrop in the door lyria is at quicksilver's birthday party with the rest of house telemannus's personal staff she gets called to take sophocles and accidentally eavesdrops on the sovereign's council while outside with the fox she is approached by pax they watch the race together for a bit but when Pax asks Lyria about the mines, she goes all red mad and yells at him and then storms off. She really did overreact, personally. I don't know. I was on her side this time. <laughs> really? I'm very flippant. 
in my opinions. Uh, this reread, I'm on Lyria's side. I was side. just like, <laughs> he was just being nice. No, but she, her whole family just got fucking murdered. Yeah, we've heard the sob story him. before. She doesn't know him, and he's like <laughs> reading about, he's like, uh, invasion of privacy. And I still want to bring this up. Pax has like, rose gold eyes he's you're, fucking half red you're right i know those spermies are red spermies <laughs> how else is how else is there rose in his I eyes there's like straight red sperm though yeah they're straight spermies that are red and then obviously mustangs are gold i don't know he has like so then did uh, mustang get carved so they could have a kid together because she definitely didn't do that before i think they that goals can have red kids because they're not huge no, like there's plenty of room in her. Fitchner had to have his wife. Because uh, she's a tiny red. Because she can't have a big gold baby because of her uterus. But Mustang's fair. uterus is way bigger than Fitchner's <laughs> wife. <laughs> right. But they're like genetically don't match up. I don't know. He's clearly half red. I don't know why. I, how else does he have rose gold eyes? I agree where you're coming from. But also there's got to be more to the story there. I just need more information. It's not like a straight red had sex with a gold and they produced a baby together. I don't believe that. Something else. It's going a on. carved red, obviously, who still has red spermies. Right. So his DNA had and to be. And an enhanced. His penis. DNA w- had to be changed, <laughs> though, to become a gold. I digress. I'm right. I love being right. Keep going. Um, after Quick's party has ended, everyone disperses with Victor and Mustang going to the Citadel with most of the staff, and Lyria goes with the Telemonuses, Sophocles, and the kids to Lake Selene. While on the shuttle, Lyria's pendant necklace begins to blink and shake. Lyria drops it, and it splits open. A metal disc spins up into the air, darting up the ship towards the cockpit, releasing gas that makes everyone fall limp to the floor. The disc then whines and everything goes dark. The ship goes silent. It's an EMP. Mm. Shit. They fall from the sky and are stopped in the air before setting down on the ground. Someone starts to burn through the door. Chapter 36, Lysander, Dinner with Dragons. Wait, like Dragonheart? <laughs> What's Dragonheart? What's Dragonheart? It's a movie. I don't, uh, I don't think I know. Sean Connery's the dragon. It's like the best soundtrack of all time. It's amazing. Wow. And it's like, it was, uh, I think the 90s, but it was um, like the best dragon movie ever made. So you're welcome. Does Sean Connery play a talking dragon? He said talking dragon. Okay. It's, I mean, ball your eyes out, let me tell you. Wow, yeah, that's the first thing I would think when <laughs> I think about you a movie. You see that movie? <laughs> no. As like a kid? No. What a sad childhood. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. Could, we're having a hard time getting through these summaries. <laughs> Cassius and Lysander go to dinner with the Raws. Gaia, the grandma, is there. She's pretending to be senile. Lysander finds his respect growing for Diomedes as they speak. As the convo continues, it gets more politically tense. Dido then asks where Lysander's razor is. Servants carry in. Cassius and Lysander safe. Oh no! Chapter 37, Lysander, pray. Lysander lets Dido know that if she tries to open the safe in any way, 
everything inside will be incinerated and they'll all go kaboom. Dido was like, yeah, I know. Thanks, Pixie. Shut up. Please don't continue to lie to me about the razor that is definitely inside. Cassius jumps in next and he tries to bargain for their lives, telling Dido if she lets them go, he'll send her the combo once they're safe. Dido is like, I know that move too, bro. You're just going to like give me a combo that will incinerate everything. You know, it's the wrong combo. So she has this nasty slug looking creepy crawler that uh, they bring into the room. And then she starts waxing poetic about her daughter that was killed at Darrow's triumph. She starts listing the people responsible for the daughter's death. And she ends the list with Cassius Abalona. <gasps> Chapter 38, Lysander. Grusely. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Cassius tries to lunge for the access pad of the safe, but he is stopped before he can make it. Some obsidians wrestle him and Lysander back to their seats. Diomedes says he knows the face of Bologna well and that this man is not him. But Dido already knows the deal. There's a bologna razor in the safe. Lysander realizes Serafina gave them away. Dido has the gruesome slug-looking creature brought out earlier. Eat the mask off Cassius's face. He vows to never give them the combo to the safe. He will not let them start their war no matter the cost. Dido asks Lysander if he feels the same way. In a moment of clarity, and probably the last cool thing Lysander's ever done in his entire fucking life, <laughs> he decides to stand with Cassius. Dido then tells her family that a blood feud needs resolution. She asks Diomedes to do the honors, but he won't. Bellerophon accepts the responsibility instead, and Cassius agrees to meet him in the bleeding place. He also spits on Cassius's face, which yeah. has like holes in it from the slug. I'm like, that's a good way to get some infection. Yeah, really unsanitary. They need some Neosporin. Bring out the yellows, please. For the face. Chapter 39, Ephraim, Lion's Den. Ephraim, Volga, and Dano breach the hole of the downed shuttle holding their prize. As they enter, Dano is attacked by Sophocles. Volga is able to pry him off and throw him in the cockpit. Thank God our girl loves animals because Dano was about to shoot him. And that would have been really fucked up. And Pierce knows not to kill Sophocles or Tungless's dog. They <laughs> <laughs> don't kill the animals. They search the ship for their prizes, Pax and Electra. They secure both, and then Ephraim makes it look like the red hand is responsible as they get ready to leave. But there's one last loose end to tie up Lyria. He finds her in the shuttle and goes to shoot her, but he can't do it. He tries to shoot her, and then he, the safety was on, and then he's like, well, I can't shoot her twice. Instead, he grabs her and takes her to the waiting car outside. Dano's like, WTF, this isn't the plan. Ephraim tells him to shut up, and then, uh-oh, Kavax, heavily drugged, but still somehow upright, unlike everyone else, lumbers out of the shuttle and starts kicking ass very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Slow-mo ass kick. He punches Ephraim off his feet, breaking uh, several ribs and denting his breastplate. Then uh, he picks Dano up and punches his head off. <laughs> Just kind of straight Just off his off body. <laughs> before uh, he gets shot by Volga with a plasma rifle in his uh, arm and his side. 
Volga helps Ephraim up and they throw the kids and Lyria in the car and speed off to a garage where Sira is waiting for them with some syndicate thorns. They remove the kids' tracking devices, torch all the evidence, and get in a new car and speed off towards the Duke mm. of Hands. And that's the end of part two of the book. End of part two. All right, now that we know what happens, what's the theme that ties all these chapters together? Uh, shit hits the fan. Sh- the fan has been strucketh with shit. Shit has hitteth <laughs> thine fan. <laughs> so this is a fun theme this week. Basically, lots of shit happens. <laughs> right. Well, basically, it's like this is kind of our rising action of the uh, rise. Oh, finally, <laughs> man! I've been waiting for that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so when everything starts to go wrong, and then obviously we're taking we're going into Act Three where everything kind of gets resolved. But this is the moment where in each story, pretty much we kind of have a breaking point or a turning point. The penultimate. Right. If you will. So step one for shit hitting thine faneth. Apollonius agrees to the plan. Mm -hmm. So some quotes from this chapter. Apple says, Well, this is magnificent for you, isn't it? A coup with minimal republic loss. I sound weird. (laughs) Enemy gutted from the inside, and the only cost is that I betray my species. Darrow says, species? You're one of a kind, Apollonius. Appealing to his vanity right there. Let me whisper in your ear. It's always a good idea with a creature like Apollonius. And then Darrow goes on to weave more seduction he says the gold betrayed you apollonius the carthii helped the ash lord put you to rot and because of that you are a footnote a man in another man's army i'm offering you a chance at revenge against those who sent you to your death and a chance to dwarf the ash lord in the memory of humanity Mm. we both know you don't care about gold so let me help make you the last legend of a crumbling age the Minotaur of Mars. Apple says, and Venus, he says with a smile, picking up his war helm. Mm -hmm. So this really starts this uh, avalanche of activity for Darrow and Apple storming the Ash Lord's place after getting on Venus and lighting him on fire. Yeah, they come to Apple with the plan. They're like, dude, you got a bomb in your head. Like, here's a steak. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, dude, first off, you got a bomb in your head. So Sorry about that. <laughs> so that should make him, uh, you know, pretty cooperative at that point. Um, even then, he still has some demands, and they kind of work that stuff out. Let him let him eat a steak. Let him hang out a little bit. Appeal to his own vanity. And what really matters to Apollonius at this point is, like, his legacy. And so... Uh, they appeal to that. They give him a chance to kind of write his legacy and be remembered forever, which is really what Apollonius cares about the most. And because of that, we get this shit hitting the fan moment where we've got two bitter enemies now teaming up to take on a third enemy that they both share in the Ashlord. Ashlord. Ash Lord. <laughs> Next on our list here for quotes uh, are from Lyria's chapters, and this is when... Uh, shit literally hits the fan with our bodies. The bodies hit the floor. <laughs> yeah, the drone going off and the EMP blast. 
A strange red light blinks beyond them against the skyscrapers. So this is Lyria looking out the window of the plane that they're on. She says, a strange red light blinks beyond them against the skyscrapers. It goes on, off, on. I squint and then discover it is not outside the shuttle. It's a reflection. I look down and through my suit's jacket, a red light throbs. Lyria, you really fucked up. You fucked up, Valeria. <laughs> you really, really You're not up. supposed to bring trinkets. <laughs> no trinkets. Everyone knows the rules. <laughs> I pull Felipe's necklace out from the neck of my jacket. Bacchus's silver face stares up at me. His gentle mouth pulling upward into a laugh. His face split in a grin. The eyes themselves blink red. From the seam, out of a hidden compartment, a dull metal disc the size of three thumbnails spins up into the air inches from my face it hisses then darts away from me down the aisle fast as a bullet it's just spraying gas the whole way so now we're just like knocking people out that was my sound effect and then this is when we get the emp blast which just basically shuts down all the electronics plane starts flying out of the air uh then there's a high-pitched scream from the device and a pulse like air being sucked in the lights go out Filtration units, silence, engines tremble no more, the drone falls to the floor, and we plummet from the sky. So here, shit's not hitting the fan, it's hitting like the top of the shuttle. (laughs) I think shit has struck the fan, it's now falling back to the ground. Well, they're falling, therefore they're hitting the top. (laughs) You know how gravity works? (laughs) Then we catch the the shit in the grav well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's this next Then quote. it hits the floor. Right. <laughs> the ship jerks downward again and crashes into the ground. Out the cracked window, I see a retracting door closing over the ship, shutting us off from the light of the city. We lie in a graveyard silence. This is like super ominous. This plan is just insane, first of all. It's like we've got a little drone full of gas. Uh, and an EMP. <laughs> and an EMP going off, taking the shuttle down. Then they catch the shuttle in the grav well. They pull- almost lose it. Yeah. They have to pull it back in because it kind of goes off course. Right. That would have been bad. And they pull down like all this other shit with it. They, like hover bikes <laughs> and their <laughs> bodies just explode. Again, was- the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> all I could think when I was reading it, I was like, that was really rude. Just like. <laughs> or like, that'd be a bad time to go for a night ride. Golly, those, not only are they smart enough to do all that and pull it down, then they have the cover come over the top, which is really the most clutch part. To trap all the the, the helpful escorts who yeah. aren't very helpful. So they can't get in. And then our little crew's already in there. They're cutting through the place. I think the first time I read this in Iron Gold, I just really hated Ephraim at this moment. You were like, stop being such a dick. I, I mean, I definitely didn't like Ephraim as much as I do now, but, you know, all of his sins have been washed away for me. So <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to think badly of him. Everything's okay. I remember this is when I was still on the fence. And I was just like extremely mad at him when all this is going down. Yeah. And then like when he actually does pull the trigger, I think that's a big part of like Ephraim is like he actually does try to he kill He actually Lil- tries Lyria. to kill her, right? Yeah. Cool. the fact that he has to do it two times is the reason that he ends up saving her. And then that sets him down this entire path. Slowly but surely towards redemption. Right. And then Ephraim, the shit is hitting the fan for him internally Mm -hmm. while 
all this stuff is going on that you just described. Mm -hmm. He says, why did she have to smile like that? Like him. Fuck it. I pull the trigger. Nothing happens. I look down at my gun. The safety is still on. I almost throw up. I'm shaking, backing away from her. My stomach all tied up in knots, disgusted with myself. I'm halfway out the door when I stop. I'm a bastard to leave her here alive. It's worse than shooting her. The Lionheart will peel Lyria apart. They'll think she's a traitor. I watch myself from a distance as I rush back toward her. She's light as a child. I carry her out of the ship and join my friends at the bottom of the ramp. I like what you said there, where not only do we have like our literal plot, like everything is hitting the fan in, in our plot of the book, but everything is shit is hitting the fan for Ephraim in his own head at this point. In his heart. Right. And like not only is uh, he struggling with compassion and trying to save Lyria, but also as a thief and a master spy person, like saving her is like such a terrible idea as oh, you yeah. see once she like escapes and the Duke of Hands is like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, he knows he's fucking himself when he's yeah. making that decision. And that's why it's almost kind of admirable that he does it, you know, because like we know that in he, his own way. <laughs> right. And like that's kind of this it is kind of a turning point for Ephraim right there where he pulls the trigger. It doesn't work. And then he's like, I can't fucking do that again. I can't believe that I'm not that person. And so he decides to save her at that point. And he knows he knows full well what the consequences are of that decision. And I love how just with every step of the way for the rest of the book here, he accepts the responsibility of that decision. And then he just, you know, it keeps building on itself. And then it becomes responsibility for like Pax and Electra. And that rolls into everything into dark age so it's like that decision that small decision that he makes right there ends up playing a big part in the way that he moves forward as a character and we get figment (laughs) also he uh this is in the next set of chapters but he thinks to himself that like if he hadn't saved lyria dana would still be alive because he wouldn't have wasted all that time Mm, mm -hmm. so like he almost traded her life for his without intentionally doing it. And he also broke some ribs because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if he hadn't hesitated, like Kavax probably wouldn't have been shot and almost dead, you know? Right. So lots of little what ifs in there. Did you think that Kavax was dead at that moment? The first time you read it? I was really worried. Cause Lyria is like, thinks that he's dead and obviously like his arm melted i definitely thought he was dead but he's like a bear he can't die right well they give you a little bit of a hint later in the book that he's still alive don't they just tell us or no i don't remember because like lyria asks about him yeah yeah and he's like almost dead right okay and then our major major shit has hit the fan moment with your homeboy with my homeboy this is when Cassius and Lysander, to a degree, mostly Cassius, mostly Cassius, get revealed. Uh, so this is Dido at the end of dinner. They start talking about the razors, and they're like, "Where's your razor? What happened to it?" And Cassius is like, "You know, they, you guys blew a hole in our ship, or Ask Money blew a hole in our ship, and it, it got, got sucked, sucked out. out. Got sucked out." I hate when that happens. <laughs> they're like, "Oh." 
Dido says, is that so, Regulus? Dido leans back. The fish has left a foul taste in my mouth. I think it's time for dessert. She motions to the servants, and the door to the room opens. Two obsidians with bulging pale arms enter, carrying a load between them, which they set in the center of the table. It is our safe. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, so obviously uh, she has known this entire time about them, and she's basically toying with them, which is why the rim golds are so scary. They don't have as many um, face-to-face games as the core, but they're super cold when they do play their games. They were like, you know, when orcas play with like seals, and they like hit them up out of the ocean and like toss them around, and then That's they horrible. End up eating them. That's what's orcas? going on here. Yeah, have you never seen that? That's so mean. <laughs> yeah, kill. That's why they call them killer whales. Aww, <laughs> I thought that was like Free Willy though. That is what Free Willy is. He's not killing dolphins. Orcas are. Don't you dare! They don't kill dolphins. They kill seals. Oh, why and was I picturing a dolphin? I don't know. I said seal. <laughs> Speak more clearly, Ben. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Continue. She's the orca in this situation? Yeah, they're like, this is what Lysander says. I mean, they're like prey at this point. Right. They're being toyed with. And they're being toyed with. Yeah. And they're, what I'm saying is like, in this situation, the rim golds or the moonies are like an orca. They're just playing with their dinner at this point and they're going to eat it. But right now, they're just kind of tossing it around have having some fun. Have you been watching Planet Earth? Yeah. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> You've really never seen that. <laughs> it changes my opinion about orcas. Orcas are bastards. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Fuck that. They're like super smart predators. Why can't they escape SeaWorld then? Uh, well, we're also super smart predators. Oh, we're the <laughs> bastards. Yeah. <laughs> we're even bigger bastards. Yeah, so that's what's going on here. Like this whole whole time, basically ever since Serafina got back and probably had some alone time with Dido, she's like, hey, I got the hollow and I put it in the case of a razor and I don't know where that razor and is at. And there's eagles on the razor. So this whole time they're like, they know what's up. Because she saw the eagles. Right, exactly. And... Lysander's kind of on to this because they're t- he's like, something's up at this dinner. Like, this is weird. This, this, feels, weird. this feels weird. Grandma's <laughs> pretending to be crazy. Right. Like, Serafina kept giving him, like, warning glances. Yeah. So uh, they bring out the safe. Everybody's like, oh, shit. And then Cassius and Lysander are like, we're not opening that safe, bro. We're not opening We're not going to do it. <laughs> they know there's a bologna raisin there, like we talked about. And so that's where we get to this quote, like, uh, this is Dido once again. She's kind of waxing poetic about her daughter. She says, My daughter, my Thessalia, was not made in my image or Romulus's. Dido whispers, She was a birth of air, a sweet girl, a vessel of all my joy. Eleven years ago, Thessalia went with her grandfather, Revis, to see Mars and attend Augustus's summit. Eleven years ago, she watched her grandfather die and felt fear as her head was caved in by a Martian boot. My joy vanished that day. As a family, we swore vengeance upon all those responsible. Broke, Afabii, Lilith, Afaron, Aja, Agrimis, Adrius, Augustus, Antonia, Ah, Severus, Chlamydia, Octavia, Loon. <laughs> 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 I was like, you said it wrong. 
<laughs> Dido's lips curl and Cassius are blown. <gasps> and then uh, that's when they bring out the grisly. Grisly. And eat his mask off. Grisly. And then this real shit hitting the fan moment is this last uh, moment where we get the challenge, the blood feud. With the spitting on the face and the germs. Mm-hmm. Very germy. You want to read that last quote there? In the name of House Ra, I, Valerifon Ara, <coughs> challenge you to single combat in the bleeding place till one heart beats no more. Cassius says, Very well, my good man. Cassius replies with a brilliant smile. I am delighted to accept. <laughs> I love how cheeky he is. <laughs> He's like, Cassius Abalona, at your service. I'm sexy, even with gooey holes in my face. Gooey holes. <laughs> From the grizzly. Grizzly. All right. That's this week's theme. Shit has hit the fan, y'all. So that brings us to Prime 5, which is five of our favorite insights and observations from this week's chapters. Okay, we have a great couple moments with Mr. Alexander here. We just love to highlight Alexander Arcos because he's He's, a Howler Pod favorite. He's going to die. And he is not going to be with us for very much longer. He's going to lose his teeth and his ears. (laughs) Then he's going to get him back. Then he's going to die. Then he's going to fucking die. All right, so um, it was interesting to note that he was a child when Tactus was threatening to kill the women and children, and so he actually saw uh, Lorne kill... His, his grandpa. Yeah, he actually saw his grandpa, Lorne, kill Apollonius's brother, Tactus. Apple says, you must have been there when my baby brother was gutted by your grandfather on Europa. You'd have been in the seat of youth, eight, nine. Tell me, did the violence excite you? (laughs) (laughs) I love Apple. (laughs) He's so fucking weird. I also love this whole conversation with Apple and Alexander Mm -hmm. because Apple's so like proud of himself and being a gold and all this shit. And then Alexander just kind of shuts him down by being like, ew, your valley I wrath, disgusting. I would never even like pretend to fight you because right. you're not worthy. Yeah. Like, He's like, you want to talk to me about jeans, bro? He's I'm like, an Arcos. blood are you? Arcos. <laughs> and Apple's like legit impressed. Yeah. He's like, the blood of Selenius <laughs> runs in your veins. Yeah. So uh, it's funny to see like these old quips still live on even through this war right i was convinced after reading this that apollonius was going to kill alexander yeah you we thought a lot more about alexander's death than what it actually was i don't know it actually ended up being worse than i thought it was going to be well we thought it would be more epic or like meaningful right not just like hey burrow pop pop it is kind of, it was I would argue it was very meaningful. Meaningful as in we really definitely hate Lysander. Yeah, it's it's a huge moment where a lot of the audience of the books t- turns on Lysander forever. But we knew the whole time, didn't we? But also it's like a real moment for Darrow when he sees Alexander he's like, "Man, I and then he can rage rage darrow (laughs) well he's like i kind of he's like i need to change some shit after this you know 
And then back to Alexander's moments in our prime five. Mm-hmm. Um, Diomedes says a little something, something about him when they're at dinner with uh, Lysander and Cassius. Diomedes says that Lauren taught him how to fish with Alexander and Drusilla on Europa. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, remember Drusilla was um, she was an Arcos knight and she was captured with Alexander in Dark Age when he lost his teeth and ears. Right. Then she helps him escape and she gets killed in the process on right. those hover bike. Right. When things. Lysander is chasing. He, well, he's escaping too. He's escaping. Yeah. They're, they're all escaping. Together. Lysander and the Arcos Knights are escaping Atlas at that point. They're like hover biking away. Drusilla is one of those people. So that's she gets exploded. Mm-hmm. Next on our Prime 5. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a really cool convo about what would happen if Dancer died. This happens uh, when in Lyria's chapter when she's accidentally eavesdropping. Right. And Victor is like, I say we kill Dancer. And don't forget, Victor is seven <laughs> months pregnant. She's wearing like a really low V neck that goes all the way to her belly button. Amazing. Her. So, so just, like boobs and belly out. What was the description that you said from the book? Trying to not look at her is like trying to not look at a burning house. <laughs> yes. That's so perfect. <laughs> I love Victor. <laughs> so yeah, she says, I say we kill Dancer. And then Niobe, Niobe gets a line. Mm-hmm. Hey, Niobe. She says, he's a hero of the Republic, akin to Darrow and Ragnar, maybe more so these days. If he's murdered, the mob will storm the Citadel. We'll have an uprising, and not just here, Mars would disintegrate. And that's exactly what happens. Damn. Wow. It's like this guy was planning ahead when he was writing this or something. I don't know. Who, Pierce Brown? Yeah, I think so. I think he knew what was going on the whole time. Oh, do you think he was like outlining? Oh, man. Those are good outlines. He's good. So clearly, uh, this little snippet, if we had been paying attention, right. we would have been like, that's going to happen. And it right. did. What's becoming very clear to me during this Iron Gold reread is how much of a fuse Iron Gold is for the bomb that is Dark Age. Yeah. You know? Like- Definitely. <laughs> and a lot of it, you don't really notice when you read Dark Age without knowing Sorry, when you read Iron Gold without knowing Dark Age. Right. You're kind of like, oh, all these things happen. And it's crazy how Dark Age completely changes your opinion about, like, Darrow and Lyria and Ephraim. Yeah. What's next on our Prime 5? Next is, we just wanted to give a little shout out to one of our favorite characters, Kavax. Just being a badass. He's all thighs and shoulders. (laughs) That's what it says. (laughs) Just how f- hard he fights and like how he's like screaming, Bugs! Like, <laughs> while he's like melting. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's freaking literally melting away. <laughs> he punches the guy's head off his body, which I will also say, I think is the most gruesome description of violence in any, well, until Dark Age. Prior to. <laughs> I was about to say. Pulls up the butthole. (laughs) (laughs) Prior to Dark Edge, this is the most gruesome description of violence ever. That that, his his little spine popping. Yeah, like him hitting his his head, his head like lolling over, 
and then his spine just sticking up through is just Blech. and blood spraying Ooh. everywhere. So yeah, Kavax, everyone else is totally uh, limp from the Anna scene and they even have like other golds and obsidian bodyguards. They're not getting up. Right. Kavax was like obviously close to the device because he was trying to swat it uh, from the cockpit. So he breathed a lot of that gas in. But yet he's the only one standing. He he tackles Ephraim, punches Dano's head off after getting shot twice in the chest. Yeah, he takes two bullets. Takes too. two bullets that go through his chest and yeah. out the back. They like hit the ship behind him. Right. And then uh, Volga melts his side. Come on, Volga. Like we like you. <laughs> Don't do shit like that. I'm glad that she didn't end up killing him. It's just like his love for. His family and just like people he cares about, Pax in the situation, obviously Electra too. It's putting him on it's his just feet. Amazing, like it's yeah, it's like Kavax is so pure, and I I just love that about him. This next one on the Prime Five is all me. Yep. Okay. It's all about you, Ben. <laughs> this this item on the Prime Five list is just Cassius is cool, guys. He's motherfucking cool. He's a badass. We get questions about why 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 do people like Cassius. Who said that? No, Kill thing. him. This is a thing that people ask. Knock their head off. I don't get it either. But it's because he's a motherfucking G and he's cool as shit. Like He's cool as a cucumber, I would he's say. He's fucking suave as a motherfucker right now. And he's just taking all this shit in stride. He is sitting at dinner with all these Raws that want nothing to do but to kill him. And he's cool as a cucumber. And then... They reveal who the fuck he is, and he's still just like Cassius Abalona at your service. And he's just like with throwing, a smile, yeah. ding. <laughs> he's throwing it back in their face uh, immediately, and he's always got to be confidence, right? He's always got to be a little sarcastic. He's always got to be a little cheeky, a little sexy. He's always having fun, and I just love that about Cassius all the time. Even when he's getting challenged to a literal fight to the death. He's still like... He's like, Bellerophon? Let's do it. Sorry, Milky. You're going down. <laughs> exactly. He calls him Milky. He's like, watch out. I've been trained by Aja. <laughs> he is cool. <laughs> and then next to him is Lysander, which is prime five number five. This is where Lysander is starting to morph into space racist, not cool Lysander. Right. We're starting to see some development in space racism for for Lysander here. Yeah, not like as a concept, but in Lysander himself. Right. He is uh, really admiring these rim golds, mm -hmm. and he hasn't been around golds like this for 10 years, mm -hmm. um, but he was raised by golds like this. So while Cassius has tried to turn him into a good little boy, these rim golds are bringing out the monster in him and saying like things like, well, golds need to shepherd the rest of the colors because they can't function without us because right. we're basically gods. I would say, I don't think he was raised by golds like this, but I, I know what you mean. But what he saw where he was raised was kind of where gold went wrong. And he saw like everything they were doing on Luna, just like how fake it was and just how gold has lost their way. They were like fat on power. Right. And here... Now he's seeing, and then he spent 10 years with Cassius, and he feels like, I support Cassius. He saved my life. I'm 
agreed to, you know, live his mission. But now I'm seeing these rim golds and they really embody the principles of an iron gold. Right. Like they do the rations for themselves. Right. They deprive themselves even though they have power. Mm-hmm. Like they are true leaders. Right. For the servants. Yep. And so we kind of see him get these ideas planted in his mind and then they really take growth in Dark Age. And there's just a couple quotes that I wanted to read here. Um, he's talking about Romulus and like Aaron mentioned about the rations and like honor, honor and work, honor and morality, honor and principle and family. Our rules are harsh, but we obey them from gold to red. Romulus eliminated the rigged quotas of mines in the Latifundia and has begun to phase out the obsidian gods and makes each man understand he is part of the same body. He has replaced subjugation with participation, given a reason to sacrifice for the betterment of all, and it starts with us at the table, the head of the body. Wow. Right. And he then, thinks very highly. Yeah, he was like starting to eugenics. Yeah, he's starting to get these ideas kind of planted in his mind. Like maybe gold isn't as bad as I thought it was, or like they're not as lost as I originally thought, and that there are still golds out here kind of living the old old way quote unquote and that this is still possible and so we still see here that lysander is starting to get some belief and this quote is really the the real clinker here he says how many times have i lain in my bunk on the archimedes lonely fantasizing of strength of revenge of sailing home and taking back my grandmother's scepter her chair and putting darrow and his rabid wolves in chains I always thought it a fantasy, something that could never be. But now that I see how much strength is left in gold, how much of the old virtues, it grows harder to see it as the vain, idle fantasy of a little boy any longer. Gold is not dead. Damn. It's interesting that he says that there, and then like a chapter or two later on, he he decides, I'm still sticking with Cassius at this point. But, you know, we know that once he sees him in the bleeding place, he ends up changing his mind. But it is interesting, like, he's he's really debating that idea at this point. Well, even in the bleeding place, he, like, holds out until Cassius is about to die. It's like, if you're going to do it, like, do it before he's got holes all over him. He is not turning into the person that we hoped he would be. I know, he's our little space racist. Hopefully he, he turns around once he finally remembers his mom. We'll see. I think that's going to be a big turning point for him. But we'll, Turn we'll around. His hate for Darrow and everything that Darrow stands for is just really a big problem at this point. I don't know if we're ever going to be able his, to reconcile that. I think that. it's justified, but it is a problem. Yeah, it is completely justified because he I mean, killed his family. But Also, though, Octavia was not a nice grandma. That's, our, that's I think, going to be the, the, the key point there is like him realizing... Yeah, he killed my family, but those were all super shitty people. And like my grandma basically tortured me and bullied me as a child. Right. And my mom she murdered my mom probably. Mm, yeah, she did do that. Um and deleted my mom from my memory to the point where I'm blaming myself for not remembering my mom. You and know, pretty much like a normal childhood. <laughs> yeah, but he really does have just like so much hate in his heart for Darrow, so I just like I don't know if it's ever going to be something that can be 
washed away to the point where he could like be a quote unquote good guy or on the side of the Republic. You know, we'll see. All right. So that was this week's prime five. Now we need to name the primus of the week. Our one character who conquered our proctors of plot and rose above the rest. Who is it? Our promise of the week this week is take your clothes off because it's Apollonius Avaliarath. I was like, please finish that sentence. <laughs> it's getting weird. So the reason he won is uh, his grand air guitar slash air violin performance <laughs> in his cell with no one watching. Mm-hmm. For, of course, being naked again. Mm-hmm. He's good at being naked. Wonderful at being naked. This is the new, uh, if you pee on something, you win. It's that. If you, if you get <laughs> naked, you win. <laughs> of course. He also ate a huge steak, but not all of it. Matters. <laughs> control your appetites. He's controlling the appetites. He has a few super duper amazingly long-winded speeches he has that one speech where he talks about how he like broke himself down and then like rebuilt himself up and Severo's like did you memorize yeah that that speech is fantastic please go back and reread that speech yeah it's so good it's awesome yeah we that was our quote was like the end the very end of that speech yeah he also gets his cool helmet back and now he's the Minotaur of Mars and Venus. Yeah, he gets a deal to get out of jail forever and become a warlord again with a chance to fix his entire legacy. As with everything Red Rising, there's always kind of a bad with the good. <laughs> so <laughs> he does have a bomb inside of his head. But But it has a cool like countdown thing. <laughs> right. That's fun. Yeah, that's he can, That's like, fun. see before he dies. Yeah, for 10 seconds. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Cool. Would Good job, you, Apple. Would you take a 10-second countdown to your own death if you could? Just you don't know when your death's going to happen, but you do get a 10-second countdown, and then you know your death's going to happen. No. Yeah, I wouldn't either. <laughs> That's sadistic. <laughs> okay, what's next? Howler Q&A. All right, we've got a question this week from Amanda. Her uh, username on Instagram is at dressage underscore Jedi. That means she's a Jedi who rides horses. Wow. Damn. That means she's appealing to both of our... That's like (laughs) both of our favorite things in one human. Wow. Amanda, we really like you. Damn. (laughs) I think I'm in love. (laughs) All right. So she has a couple questions. She said, first... How did the Askamani know where to find Serafina's ship in the asteroid belt and who sent them? So I think this is a very important question to think about because I've seen some people talking about this online. and I think there is a little bit of confusion around Askamani, quote unquote. Because there's the two. Right. So the way that Aaron and I kind of see things that there are, there's kind of, there's two groups of Askamani. There's the, the man eaters. Right. Those are, when Aaron refers to the man eaters, we're referring to obsidians that have been freed in the last 10 years. From the ice. From the ice. And we saw them bite Jer- Darrow's jaw right. when he was with Ragnar. They have been freed and they didn't really fit into society. Because they eat people. Well, I don't think it's necessarily like those cannibals, but it's it's obsidians 
participate in cannibalism. So, I mean, like it could be any obsidian group, but it's obsidians freed that were slaves that are now freed and they don't fit. They're not fitting into society. So they grabbed spaceships and they have now gone out to the asteroid belt and they fuck with ships out on the asteroid belt all the time because they have nothing better to do. And, and they want to fight and shit. And then they eat people in the process. So those groups are being referred to as the Askamani because there's the legend of the Askamani that has been a thing within the society for many, many years. And so they were just kind of rumors. And, and then it was more of a deep space thing. And so now this group of obsidians has gone out into space they're doing similar things to what the Askamani do, and they've like been tagged as quote unquote Askamani. So these groups are being called Askamani when they're not like technically Askamani. They're not like the famed, rumored Askamani from deep space. They're just using that name to call these obsidians that have gone from the ice into space and brought the ice to space. The second group of Askamani is like the actual real Askamani that attack Victor's ship in Dark Age. And they are from deep space. That's where Volsung Fa came in and brought this group and like became the leader of this group or whatever. And then he brought them in. And so what I would say to this is how did they know where to find Serafina's ship? I think this is just a random group of Askamani that is hanging out on the asteroid belt doing their thing, messing with ships that go by, that kind of thing. And so this is just a random group. It's not the Askamani, the same Askamani that... The space aliens. The space aliens, ones that attack Victor's ship later on. Because those, as you see, are super separated from obsidians. Evolution has... They look different. Fucked them up. They can go out into space without spacesuits. Yeah, they have like eye flaps and ear flaps, so they kind of float comatose in space. Yeah, yeah, different skin color. Yeah. So I think that basically what we're saying here is there's two different groups. So yeah, as far and then as far as who sent them, like I said, we think these Eskimani are just they're just chilling and they're just attacking ships, and they happen to find a gold, and if they eat her, they'll become golds. As far as space alien Askamani, what we think is those are probably Atlas, Aras, minions of some sort. They seem like it. Right. Um, and then her next question is, who has Selenius Alun's razor? Because uh, we see it in Dark Age. Well, yeah, we see it in Dark Age. Ephraim steals it in Iron Gold. Do you know who has it? Abominadris. He brings it out. When he appears, when he, he appears for the first time, right. he's holding Selenius's razor. That's because the syndicate queen is Lilith. Correct. And the Duke of Hands got it back. Yes. Because he's the one who hired Ephraim. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So he actually brings it out and he's using it on like Publius and shit when he shows up. Nice. So, yep. And Dark Age. Thanks, Amanda. All right, so yes, thanks, Amanda. Uh, Aaron, you know what's up next? What are we into this week? All right, we've got a packed what are we into this week. We're into <laughs> the same thing plus two other things. Wow. 
This is so much. What are we into? The first thing is a joint. What are we into this week? If you guys have not checked out the YouTube video from Kevin Saxby. It's that, on Reddit, too. Yep. And it's called Dark Age in Three Minutes. It's so good. It's fucking hilarious. Kevin, I don't I mean, you're amazing. He looks very huggable. <laughs> Aaron wanted to say that you look very huggable. I didn't get it. But no, this is a conversation. <laughs> ben says, Did you see Dark Age in three minutes? And I said, Oh, you mean with the guy who looks like he gives really great hugs? And then Ben was like, What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I just feel like he we gave a good hug. That's all I was saying. So, so Kevin, thanks for your hugs, Kevin. <laughs> yes, and thank you for your amazing video. It was super funny. Like, just go watch it. It's a quick three minutes. I yeah, thought. and it's just like him doing a bunch of reactions to the reading of you don't Dark have to Age. Spoil it. Yeah, we won't. Just go watch it. it. Just go watch it. It's I'm three, sure you already have if you're listening to this shit. It's three minutes of your life, and you'll you won't. That's your countdown to death. Right. You won't be mad about it. Good job, Kevin. Uh, I'm really jealous that I didn't think of that idea. First. I'm also waiting for my hug. Ben, what are you into? <laughs> All right. This week, I'm into two books, both Star Wars books. I'm just really getting geared up for Star Wars, guys. The Rise Dude. of Skywalker trailer just dropped yesterday. The Rise of Skywalker, your favorite movie title of all time. <laughs> I did not like the title, but I did like the trailer. Uh, anyway, so I'm reading some old Star Wars books. What I did here was I read one non-canon old Legends book, reread it, called Heir to the Empire. And, and then I read a new canon, so like actual canon, part of the new movies um book by timothy zahn called thrawn both books are by timothy zahn they both feature a great character grand admiral thrawn he's like one of the best villains in all of star wars and he's not in the movies or anything but he's a big player and like he was a big player in the legends books before they deleted all of them and took him out of the star wars story and then they brought him back and put him back into the new story and so that's what thrawn is about heir to the empire is the old book from like the 90s it's great it's very sci-fi star wars so it gets into like hard sci-fi type stuff less fantasy i listened to the audiobook the narrator is fantastic the production levels on it are great there's music there's sound effects wow um it's amazing the guy does a really good han solo voice uh <laughs> that's why you're here you're here for the han solo <laughs> and then uh the new book thrawn is really good and it kind of tells the story of like how he came up in the imperial navy and he's just a really interesting character so i would highly suggest checking out either of those books nice heir to the empire and thrawn both by timothy zahn not gonna lie i don't know about half those things that you said I didn't know there were um, non-canon books that they took out. Oh, dude. There's so much old Star Wars that they just deleted. It's crazy. How can you just delete it? You're just um, like, just kidding. This doesn't belong. Yeah, so they were making the movie. They made the movies, and then like George Lucas just said, you can write books. But like, and they had like a loose canon. And so like the books would just build on each other, but anybody could write a book, basically, for Star Wars. And so they wrote all these books about what happened after Return of the Jedi. And then when Disney bought Star Wars, they just said, fuck all that shit. We're writing all new books. 
They're like, we're Disney. We run the world. Yeah. <laughs> You'll accept it. Yeah. You're welcome. So basically what they said is all those books don't count anymore. And we're going to... What if you wrote that book? That would hurt my feelings. We're going to retell all the stories. That's what's kind of cool is they brought this author back that wrote this great trilogy back in the 90s. Oh. And they brought him back and brought him in to write a canon story for Disney with the same character, but in a different setting. So do you think that'll become another movie? Maybe? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if a Thrawn will ever be a movie. It, it'll probably be... He's in the animated TV show, Rebels. Okay. Uh, he makes an appearance there, but yeah, I, don't, I doubt he'll ever get in a movie. Aaron, what are you into this week? I'm into an Amazon original show. It's called Modern Love. Mm. And it's based on the weekly column published by the New York Times with the same title. Mm-hmm. Um, so each episode is a completely different story. Mm. So that's fun. And there's uh, some really famous people in some of the stories. Anne Hathaway's in it, Tina Fey, the dude with white hair from Mad Men, whatever his name is. John Slattery, I believe. Anything like that. He's like a really hot old man. He kind of reminds me of Pierce's dad just (laughs) a little bit. He's got great hair. (laughs) Got great hair. I bet he knows how to swing an axe. (laughs) So, uh, and it's not just romantic love. It also... um, Goes into just familial love, platonic love with a friend, and self-love. So it's not all romance. And hot take, I have cried every episode. Wow. That's crazy. So, Modern Love on Amazon. Highly recommend. Aaron, what are we doing next episode on Hallerpod? Uh, We get into part three of Iron Gold. Wow. Chapters 40 through 46. That sounds really exciting. Part three does sound exciting. That's the last part. I believe it's, it's called uh, Dust. Is that correct? Keep flipping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> dust. We are but dust and shadow. House Ross, the quote for part three. Oh, tingles. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at howlerpod.com. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you don't give us five stars only, we'll shoot you with a plasma rifle and melt your side. Mm. And guess what? You're not Kavax, so you'll die. You'll die. Like, you'll be straight melted. <laughs> You're a super We will melting. melt you. <laughs> so just go ahead and give us five stars, and then you don't get melted. All right. Thanks, Howlers. Omnisphere Lupus. Ooh. Ooh.